0: Brought to you by the Center for the Arts of Greater Lapeer. The PIX Podcast showcases the best of the Pix Theater and Gallery 194's featured artists, musicians, and entertainers. We are the center for all things art and entertainment in Greater Lapeer. Here's your host, Jill Lynn Lyons.
1: Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the PIX Podcast. This episode is featuring our upcoming act, Kathy Cousins. Kathy will be joining us on February 12th at the PICS, a 7.30 show. Those tickets are on sale now. Hi, Kathy, and
0: welcome. Hi, Jill. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Thank you so much. Let's get to know you a little bit better. Can you tell me, where did you grow up?
0: I was born and raised in the city of Detroit, and I grew up in Southfield, Michigan. And I went to Southfield High School. And eventually, I moved to Birmingham, where I lived for a number of years after way after high school. And then I purchased a home in just northern, just north of Detroit in the northern in the southern suburbs, but north of Detroit in Northwest Ferndale. And I really love it here. It's a very artistic community.
1: I've had some friends that lived in Ferndale and that's how I learned that it had turned into such an artistic community. So have you always been a singer?
0: Did you start when you were a little kid or? I've had no formal training. I started, uh, I grew up with Motown. And so it was the radio and music played a very vital role in my home. My mother and father had a lot of jazz recordings and singers of the 1950s and 60s, like Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday and Dinah Washington. And it was very varied, actually. We had a lot of instrumental jazz and it was pop records of the time, too. I mean, everything from Elvis to jazz. So music was a staple in our household. And though I never had any formal training, my father owned a men's clothing store in downtown Detroit called Cousins Clothes. And it was a very, very prestigious men's clothing store that catered to the Motown artists and Barry Gordy. And if you were a celebrity and you happened to be in town, you had to go to Cousins Clothes to buy a suit. Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager, Walked in when the Beatles played in um, at the Olympic at the Olympic. They were at the Olympic or the Olympia. It was the Olympia Stadium in Detroit. And And Epstein walked in and bought himself some clothes. And Barry Gordy, the president of Motown, was a huge customer of my dad's, as was Aretha Franklin's father, the Reverend Franklin and. Red Fox, the comedian, he was a very good customer of my dad's. So growing up, I was working in the store when I was a youngster, really young, and all these celebrities would come in and out of the store. And I met Diana Ross and I met Marvin Gaye and I met all these people. And so on a subconscious level, that music ended up seeping into my into my DNA. It became part of my makeup. And with no lessons, I just started singing, went to a few auditions here and there. And I started gigging around in top 40 and rock and roll bands in bar bands. And then one thing led to another and I became a songwriter and I became an RB soul singer songwriter. And then later on, I started writing jazz compositions with the idea of other already established artists recording them, but then a record label in Ann Arbor at the time, School Kids Records, heard this project of mine and they ended up signing me to the label as a jazz artist. And that's how my touring career and my recording career took off. And years and years later, it was 2011, 2012, I had the idea for a product that I'm thrilled to bring to the Pix Theater and it's a modern exploration of the West Coast cool movement, which was a big movement in, in California. It started at the at the famed lighthouse restaurant and bar in Hermosa Beach, California. Stan Kenton's bass player started running a Sunday afternoon jam session at this. Bar called the Lighthouse, and they would start at two in the afternoon and they would go all night until like three, four o'clock the next day. And that's where the birth of the West Coast School movement took place. And so I came up with an idea. I chose four singers that really spoke to me, that were the prototypes of the West Coast School movement. And I focused in on their careers. And I really did. It was a history. It was like going to school. I really dug deep into these four women, their lives, where they performed, what they recorded, what they were doing, who they married, where they lived, and on and on and on. And I put together 10 songs, which for me were strong enough elements for me to use them as a point of departure into my own journey as a performer and a singer. And I titled the album To the Ladies of Cool. I raised my glass in a toast to these four women. And a record label in Los Angeles, oddly enough, West Coast, signed the project for a one-off album release. And that album has taken me far and wide. I've toured the material that I recorded on the record, and then I supplement with other songs that those four women individually, and in some cases all four of them, you know, sang as part of their their show. So each woman is one different from the other. And none of them, only one of them was was born in Southern California. Everybody else is from the Midwest or Chicago or elsewhere. But yet they were the prototypes of the Ladies of Cool because that's the style of music they were singing. And West Coast Cool music was a departure from the East Coast bebop music that that Billie Holiday or Ella Fitzgerald or Carmen okay. McRae, that was a whole different type of singing and, and arranging. It was more frenetic, whereas the West Coast music was more arranged and laid back. And you would have singers singing parts written for them exactly with as these interlude parts, or they would be singing the same notes as a guitar or a horn or a piano. It, it was a whole different ballgame, but I just found myself very attracted to it. And the album has done incredibly well for years and years. And I've con- continued to tour this body of work. That's a long answer.
1: (laughs) Would these be songs that anyone would recognize? You know, jazz kind of, some of it's more mainstream, like you mentioned Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday.
0: From my show, from this particular performance, there are one or two recognizable. There's a Cole Porter song. There's a couple of Bobby Troop compositions. Bobby Troop was an arranger, composer that ended up marrying Julie London, who is one of the women I celebrate from this project. There's a couple of well-known songs, but I must tell you, it's going to be a real experience and an education for your audience because most of these songs will never before, unless they're really West Coast cool, studied (laughs) devotees. they're not going to know these songs. But yet, and even if they did know the songs, I've taken them into such a different arrangement type of I take them even right of right. So I mean, I'm, I really think outside the box on these songs to begin with. But then I take them to an even greater level by making the arrangement so special. And I had them arranged in California by an amazing arranger, jazz instrumentalist, pianist. And they're very, very complicated arrangements. They're They're very friendly to the audience. They sing and they translate beautifully. But for other musicians that have to play this work, they really have to, we have to have like really chunky rehearsals because the the charts are very technical. They're very, very notey and they're technically written. So even the best of the cream of the crop. The gold star standards <laughs> of jazz musicians still need rehearsing this material, especially if they haven't played it or if they haven't played it in even a long time. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful book of material.
1: And who introduced you to this
0: material? me you. i i it was like finding needle in a haystack every one of these songs i found i found on my own by digging and digging and digging looking through old old album vinyl collections i have a friend in grand rapids and he's got i think over 15000 albums and they're all in alphabetical order and he's got binders of what's on what shelf where he's got a mansion. He's got a very big house in um, Grand Rapids and his entire basement is nothing but albums. And he's had cases made for these. So when I was putting the music together, I called him up and I said, I'd really like to come to Grand Rapids for a day and go through some of this material. And then I picked out, we listened on his record player. And I said, wow, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. And I put these songs aside and I continued looking. And when I collected about 16, 17 songs, I pared it down to the to my favorite 10. And that's how that's how I found that material. And it wasn't just the gentleman in Grand Rapids. I had been looking. And even after I found the guy in Grand Rapids and went through all that material, I continued looking until I really was sold on these songs. I didn't just cut them because I liked them. I had to cut them on the strength of the lyric and the story. And could I tell that story to an audience? Is it believable? Can I sing that? When a singer picks songs, and any singer will tell you this, you pick songs that are like a dress that you that you would fit into and it would feel very comfortable putting it on. I can sing songs that rub me the wrong way because I've had to learn them or maybe because somebody wants me to sing that song, but I fight it the whole time I'm singing it. The songs that I've chosen for myself, whether I'm writing them or choosing other people's composers material, I have to have a real strong affinity for those songs to bring them and present them to an audience. And this whole body of work to the ladies of cool are songs that I feel I have a love affair with every song on that record.
1: I was going to say, it sounds like a passion of the heart.
0: It is. And, and, and it's, it's made for women. The show is about women and it's for women and several women wrote compositions from this and so and because it's Valentine's Day weekend, it's a very special to present the show. At two sp- specific times of the year: month of March because it's Women's History Month, mm-hmm. and right around Valentine's Day because it's you know it's it's real special and it's 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 women. It's it's romantic. This music is very romantic. It's fun. Some of it is upbeat. Some of it is is very, very like film noir and very thoughtful, but it it works very well on a Valentine's uh, weekend.
1: I'm really looking forward to it. It sounds very exciting. And it will uh, some of it will be new for our audience and I think that's a great thing too.
0: I will leave the audience. my last song I can give you a hint. My last song of the of the performance will be one of my own originals. I have to do something from my book because I, I hope I'm a lady of cool also. <laughs> I hope in some way, shape, form, or fashion, I can be a lady of cool <laughs> also. And I picked a song. I actually picked a song made for, for people that are feeling romantic. And uh, it's a very special song that I wrote. And I decided to add it into the show.
1: Oh, well, that's excellent. That's going to be a nice treat. And that's going to be the the last song of the evening?
0: Yeah. Yes. Excellent. And and, And these four women, by the way, if anybody wants to do a little research or just even Google who these people are, they are Anita O'Day, June Christie, Chris Connor, and Julie London. And Julie London, by the way, was a film actress.
1: I was going to say, I recognize that name.
0: Oh yeah, she was on. She was Nurse Trixie McCall on Emergency. Of course, <laughs> I grew up watching Emergency. Oh, of course, yeah. And um, and the most famous song she ever sang. I yes, I will be doing it this in this performance, and I really cannot wait to to get on your stage. And, you know, there'll be a few anecdotal historical talking points here and there about each woman as I get into it. I, I particularly like to do this show. I've done it two ways. I've done it where I do some material from one singer and then another, and then I mix it all up. But I really find that if I, if I put a box around each singer and present each singer one at a time, it makes more sense. It just it gives it more of a visual. And there's a lot of reading, a lot of reading on the on, on these four women. Anita O'Day had a very colorful career. She wrote a book called High Times, Hard Times about her, you know, her addictions. And she, I mean, she just had an a very troubled, but she was one of the most amazing jazz vocalists of that era that wasn't african-american she was a white jazz bebop singer her voice lent itself to west coast cool but she was like a jazz instrumentalist this woman so is this in the 40s actually she started in the 40s but all the music that i'm performing in this show was recorded by these women between 1952 and 1962 oh okay yeah Anita O'Day started as a diamond dancer. She was born in 1906 or 1908. And she was born in Chicago. And she got into these jazz and lounge bands when in the 40s. And in the 50s, that's when her, she really, really broke out. She died in 2006. She was in her 90s. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. She died in an assisted care facility in Los Angeles where my friend's mother was living at the same time.
1: So did you get to meet her? Never. Never? No. So these women never knew that you were were working on this project?
0: No, because they were all deceased. They were all? They were all deceased. I have had a few inquiries from Julie London's kids. And that was exciting to me, you know. That is I never, had, never had a phone conversation, but I I've had a couple of written correspondence. But that was it. Wow.
1: But it's great that you're kind of keeping their flame alive and educating people about what they did.
0: Oh yeah, one of the women was gay, and she she really never came out of the closet until. Way late in her career when she really couldn't sing that well anymore. She should have, you know, at some point people need to stop. Frank Sinatra knew when to stop, but not everybody does. And some of these women kept going and going when they, you know, not these women, all of them in particular, one in particular, but most, you know, there are singers out there in their 80s, late 80s that are trying to be on a stage, but their voice isn't in shape. Yeah. Tony Bennett went on and on until his 90s. And he recently had to stop. He recently had to stop. Well, people can go
1: longer now, especially if they never smoked.
0: You know, a lot of those. All, all these people did.
1: Yeah. they Yeah. And you their voice just went. You
0: see photographs. You see vintage photographs and everybody's got a cigarette in their hand. Ella yeah, Fitzgerald's where they all smoked. Yeah, you see them sitting on a bar stool in a recording studio. They're at the mic. And don't you remember, like on all those late night talk shows, Johnny Carson? And I don't know who's old enough to remember this. But when I was a kid, I'd watch you come on the show and you'd be smoking. Yeah. They had an ashtray there for you.
1: (laughs) Well, you mentioned that your father had a men's... uh clothing store my family had a clothing department store so we have a little bit in common in downtown Detroit well no the clothing department store that my family owned was right here it's now the gallery oh in a weird coincidence and but my grandfather worked back in the this would have been back in the 20s 30s until 1940, he worked at a major department store in Detroit called Sam's.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Everybody knew Sam's. Yep. Well, not everybody. I, I wasn't alive, but I knew about the store. <laughs> yeah, it,
1: Yeah, it was a huge store at the time, and he was the head of advertising for that store.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And he had some health issues, and they said that he was in too stressful of an occupation. So he decided to move out of Detroit and came to Lapeer to open up his own clothing department store. So anyhow, we have that little bit in common. So I, I thought that was really neat that you got to meet all of those people in your father's store.
0: Yes. And my father had, well, my father was a very charismatic guy. He passed away in 1990. In his 60s, he was very young when he died, but but that store went on until he passed away, and then it survived another year or so, and then that was the end of it.
1: Well, and then in the 1990s, clothing stores were the independent clothing store. They're getting fewer and far farther to find.
0: Yeah, they are, unless you're... Yes, yeah, that's exactly true. If my dad were alive today, he still would have... had. He had... I meet people... On the road, I'll meet somebody in New York City or even in Atlanta, and I'll mention my dad's store. And they say, I knew that store. I still have my cashmere coat, or I still have such and such. <laughs> People tell me stories all the time. So I yeah. get it
1: here too. <laughs> I can so relate.
0: I can you know, relate. Where was Sam's? Where was that store?
1: I honestly don't know because it was way before I was born, but I have seen pictures of it in like those old Detroit photo, photo books. And it was a large department store. And I was, I can't remember where the art show was, but I was going, it was one of those art festivals and I'm strolling around and there was an artist who had painted Sam's. Uh Uh-huh. And it turned out he had done it from a postcard. I was like, were you there? Did you know? And he, he wasn't yeah. old enough to know. But yeah, that's the only times I've seen it. I just yeah. grew up hearing about it. Yeah. Yeah. They moved here in 1940.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. Jill, I'm so excited about performing at the Pix Theater, and I hope. We can get some tickets sold and have a beautiful concert. I think we will. I, I think I so. know whoever is in the audience is going to get a great concert from. I'm bringing in a f- wonderful group of guys, wonderful jazz trio.
1: Who are you bringing?
0: You want to mention them? I'm bringing Cliff Monier on piano, and he is one of the main salespeople at Steinway in Commerce Township. Okay. At the Steinway Gallery. And my bassist, Nick Calandro, lives in the Flint area. And I've used him. I've used all three of these guys going back 20, 20, 25 years. I've worked with them all for a very long time. And my drummer is driving up from Toledo. And his name is Scott Kretzer. And I could have called one of many, many different piano players, different bassists, different drummers, but this is the core group that I wanted to play this body of work in your theater.
1: I am so looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a wonderful way to spend uh, Valentine's weekend.
0: I can't wait, Jill. Thank you so much for bringing me onto your podcast.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. And again, those tickets are still on sale. You can go to our website, that's centerfortheartslapeer.org, or you can call us and order your tickets over the phone, 810 664 Thank you very much, Kathy, and I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Thank
0: you, Joe. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Picks Podcast. To learn more about upcoming shows and events, visit www.centerfortheartslapierre.org